Hello and welcome to Hosanna. I'm Pastor Jen Alexander and please hear me say, we believe the Lord led you here to help you grow in faith and look a little more like Jesus. After today's message, we encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Good morning, Hosanna. Whether you are worshiping at one of our campuses or joining us online, you should know that you are in the right place today because you are about to receive God's word from one of my favorite voices. Pastor Laurel Bunker is known throughout the Twin Cities as a dynamic and courageous leader and a soulful, heart-led communicator. She is an encourager and friend to me and many in this church, which makes her the perfect voice to continue our bigger story journey through the Bible as we lean into this central mega theme of love. I'm so grateful she said yes to spending a Sunday with Hosanna. Please help me extend a warm Hosanna welcome to Pastor Laurel Bunker. Amen. Hallelujah. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Just taking a minute to look at all my beautiful friends and family, people that I love and know so well. I'm just honored to be here. I'm always honored when the saints of God gather. And so I'm particularly grateful to be in this house. Special thanks to my friends, Ryan and Jen Alexander. Thank you for the privilege of standing in your pulpit and to preach this message. It's an honor. Whenever you stand in somebody else's pulpit, you give honor where honor is due because it is difficult work to lead well. And they are people who lead well. So let's honor your pastors, Ryan and Jen Alexander. And to all of the sites and all of our friends who are at the other sites, whether you're watching now or you'll watch later, we just wanna honor and bless you to send the love of Jesus Christ to you as we continue in this message. So today we're continuing in our series, and I'm gonna use our, because I'm a part of the family. So we're continuing our series on love, which is a part of our year-long journey called The Bigger Story. As we find ourselves in the center of the journey right now, I find it both exciting and fascinating that we're digging into the essential theme of love. I watched Pastor Ryan's launch of the series last week, and I so appreciated so much of the boldness with which he spoke. And there were several declarative points that I heard that I want to start with this morning. The first is, love is the center of the center. It is, as I call it, the meta-narrative, or we say the meta-theme of the entire Bible, I want you to think about that from the beginning in Genesis all the way to the end. God's grand plan was to fashion a people for himself. And when we fell away from that love, he was on a mission, a love mission, to restore a people to himself. So he formed us for himself, but then we fell away. And through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, he sought to redeem us to himself. That wasn't a religious move. That was a love move. Amen? God sought, while we were dead in trespasses and sins, to find a way to get us back into his bosom. So we've got to remember that love is the center of the center. Not just this way, beloved, but this way. So that if we can receive the love of God truly, then we should be able to give the love of God truly. The second thing that I want us to think about is that God himself is love. It says that throughout the word of God, including 1 John 4, and he is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. So when we think about the driving force of love, 
it's imperative that we move it out of our own limited views of love. Sometimes all we can give others is the kind of love that we've gotten. And how many of you know that sometimes the love that we've received is skewed or it came with conditions? When you try to love others out of the flesh, we're going to miss something. But how many of you know that when we love God out of the pure love, the agape love that sent Jesus Christ to the cross on our behalf, you can love other people even if you don't like other people. Can I tell you as a Christian, you don't have to like other people to love other people. Because once you have the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, when it emanates from you, they're going to stand back and say, why? Why do you love me when I don't love you back? And it opens wide the door for you to share the message of how you received the love of God. So the love that we're talking about in this series, if I can be so bold, this driving force of love is a higher, purer, truer uh, kind of love than what emanates from us alone. Like gold that gets refined through the fire, the God kind of love is pure and it refines us, removing from us everything that is not like him. And then finally, Ryan said in his opening last week that if we get this right, it's everything. But listen, if we miss it, we've lost the entire point. Preachers don't get up in front of you simply to preach sermons that will be enticing to you. We're preaching because the time is short. And there is a world out there where people are desperate. We see when we watch the news, people are tearing each other apart. And dare I say, the church has not led the way that we should have. We need to lead with a meta-narrative of love and realize that we are family. We're going to worship God forever at the throne of the Lamb. Revelation 7-9 says at the end of time, every tribe and tongue will worship him. And so we've got to get rid of the things that, that define us and instead let us let the word of God refine us. Amen? And so we need that. So with that, let's look today at our foundational scripture uh, that was read in your hearing last week, coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. It'll be on your screens, but if you have it on your phones or you want to mark it in the hardcover books and do it, we want to be able to sure, sure that you get this. So let's look at this and read this together. If I could speak with all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal if I had the gift of prophecy. And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything that I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. When I read this portion of scripture initially, let me be honest, I was not quite sure how to preach a message on kindness. I was a bit stumped, not for fear that I would not have anything to say because that's never been a problem for me, <laughs> but because I find the term so rarely used to define a person or people, much less uh, that I was altogether clear on what to say about love being kind. Let's think about this. Furthermore, when the term kind is used, it's often used interchangeably with the word nice. Nice. Let's think about the word nice. It's not very committal or robust, is it? 
In fact, it's rather ambiguous, which is why perhaps it is used so often. Oh yeah, she's super nice. Oh, that was so nice of you. But really what we're saying is you're really not irritating my soul right now, so thank you so much. (laughs) I thought to myself, I wonder if anyone else has ever been stumped on really the difference then between nice and kind. And so I did a bit of digging and I found that a lot of people, as a matter of fact, have been thinking about it. I found a psychiatrist named Marcia Sirota who wrote a quite lengthy blog entitled Being Nice Versus Being Kind, which I found to be quite helpful. Here's a little bit of what she had to say. You've heard the phrase, so-and-so is a really nice person, and probably thought nothing of it. But in my work as a psychiatrist, I think a lot about what words mean. And I've had to think a bit about what it means to be really nice and the distinctions of being nice and being genuinely kind. The way I've learned to understand it, kindness emerges from someone who is confident, compassionate, and comfortable with themselves. A kind person is loving and giving out of the goodness of their heart. At the root, though, of extreme niceness is these feelings of inadequacy and the need to get approval and validation from others. Overly nice people try to please others so they can feel good about themselves. Kind people can be assertive and set good limits. Nice people, on the other hand, often bend over backward to be obliging. They deal with the potential conflicts by placating the other person because they can't bear to have anyone upset with them. Full stop. Ugh. Dagger to the heart. Here's why. (laughs) When I read that, I said, oh my God. For so many years, I was the nice person. I was the nice person, and here's why. When I was growing up here in Minnesota, yes, I actually grew up here. When I grew up here in Minnesota in the 70s and the 80s, it was not nearly as diverse as it is now. It was a pretty challenging place to grow up. It was a pretty challenging time to turn on the television and not see anyone look like me, to not find a Band-Aid that matched my skin tone, to not have friends that understood me, who told me racist jokes and thought it was hilarious and slapped me on the back and just thought, oh, it's not a big deal. I was a bullied, picked on kid in my own community and struggled to find out where I belonged. I remember one time running to the church that I was at at the time and sitting in the pew and looking at Jesus Christ on the cross and saying, why did you give me a heart to love people that don't love me back? Why? What is the purpose of loving people if everything that I am externally is all that matters? I was always the last kid picked. Anyone else, the ones that people, when it was kickball, they're like, oh my gosh, right? Everybody else was picked and they were kind of looking over you, hoping that somehow you would miraculously disappear. And then they would say, I guess we'll take her. So when any of you, anyone ever dealt with a root of rejection, had rejection that came from fatherlessness, from friendlessness, from hopelessness. You learn to be nice. Why? Because what you're doing is saying, I don't want you to hurt me, so I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just please like me. And it 
oozes into relationships. You learn to buy friendships. You learn to give yourself away in relationships, recognizing that it never buys love. It wasn't until I got to college and I surrendered my life to Christ after being a kid in church all my life through a great ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And when I finally met a group of girls that didn't mind that I wasn't the skinniest one in the room, that being nice was okay, that my voice wasn't white, that I actually was educated, that I was, it was okay to be who I was, where there was no games being played, when I was enough because the gospel finally told me I was enough, and as if I broke out of a shell and I realized I did not have to sell my soul to belong. Anyone else ever been there, been the nice person, been the person that you just were nice enough to get through? Or maybe you've been nice in people's faces, but then you get behind the scenes and your face goes flat, and you become the person that operates in a spirit of meanness, not because you want to, but because you've never been taught what true kindness looks like. Do you all hear the distinctions? I don't want Minnesota nice to be a regular thing that stands anymore. I can't stand that term. Can we please, Hosanna, all the sites, just upend that term and destroy Minnesota nice? How about Minnesota saved? How about Minnesota spirit-filled? How about Minnesotas are the lovingest, kindest, nicest, uh, lake-goingest people in the United States of America? How about we do something that extends some love and grace? Because here's the reality. Minnesota nice is a real thing for people who haven't been here. We've, we're clannish. And we can be separatist. And people are lonely. And people are longing for community. Thank God for Jesus Christ who told me who I am. And praise God is going to show us a bit more about who we are. Amen? Amen. Guys, here's the reality. I realized that I was being nice and I was stuck in niceness. And it was hard to hear. When I found another blog post, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, I found another blog post that was interesting entitled, Why I Quit Being Nice. And here's what she said. Niceness stays quiet. Kindness speaks up. Niceness is toxic. Kindness is healing. Niceness lies to keep the peace. Kindness knows the only way to make peace is to tell the truth. Niceness holds back. Kindness moves forward with humility, gentleness, and grace. It may seem like we're splitting hairs here, but really what we're doing is talking about the clarity of what emanates out of us when we know who we are versus when we don't. And when we are children of the king, something else, something rare, something beautiful ought to emanate out of us. I love this quote as well that I'll put on the screen what wisdom can you find that is greater than kindness? Kindness doesn't have to be uh, super expensive, but it does have to be authentic. So what does kind actually mean? Let's break this down a little bit. What does kind mean? The, the Greek word for kind is Christos, which means a serviceable good, usefully kind, gentle, and pleasant. So when we say love is patient and love is kind, what the word of God here is insinuating is that kindness has a point. 
Kindness is not about self-grandizement. Kindness is about seeing the other people. It's about locking eyes, like I'm locking with you and saying, I see you and I love you because God loves you. And that's enough. You don't have to please me. You don't have to give me anything. You don't have to change your hair color. You don't have to be super spiritual for me. I don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. I'm simply a sojourner trying to get there. Come on, let's go together. Let's point the way to the kingdom. Let's say Jesus is still operating, still moving, still transitioning lives. Time is short. Kids are dying in the streets. Met one yesterday at Cub Foods when my husband and I were grocery shopping. Beautiful child. Bright eyes, beautiful hair, and he was just muddy from head to toe with one of those pieces of kind of metal, um, one of those blankets to kind of keep him warm. In this small bag, he had two donuts, and he was shifting through this rattered, tattered little uh, um, thing that he was keeping his money in. And he was looking at us unloading our food, and he was trying to hurry up, and I recognized and realized, this baby is hungry. I mean, that child could be sitting on the front row, just a beautiful child. And I said, son, are you hungry? And I gave him money, and his eyes just got big. And then two other people that were managers came over and said, son, if you don't have a place to be, let us help give you a job. And I looked at my husband. And I said, this baby is hungry. He said, let's get him a cub card. And we gave it, not because we deserve any glory, but when you have it, give it. When you have love to give, give it. Don't hold back from people. Don't say, oh, that's none of my business. Yes, it is your business. If you're a child of the king, Get in the face of darkness and help people. It is your business. It is your responsibility to represent the king. It is your job to make sure that hungry people are fed. It is your job to make sure children who are fatherless have a father-like figure. It is your responsibility. Because while you were fatherless, the God of all creation fathered you. When you were dead in trespasses and sins, your Abba Father showed up on the scene when you could not save yourself. He sent his own perfect son to step out of a perfect world in a perfect heaven to save your life. What we did yesterday was not heroic. It was kind. It was kindness. We didn't expect that baby to thank us. All we could do then is pray, God, give that child a place to lay his head and help us to know. And thank God for the other people in Cub who then wanted to give this child a job. Two men that said, it doesn't matter, son. You can shower here. We'll help you. We'll help open a bank account. It blessed my soul. How many of you know when you see true kindness in action, it will bless your soul, but it will also encourage you to say, I got to do the same. Don't wait for examples. We just need to get after it. So that is what kindness means. Kindness has a purpose and it makes a point. It is the opposite or the antithesis of harshness, hardness, sharpness, bitterness. Anyone tired of those? Sharpness, hardness, bitterness, nastiness, cancel culture. No, the church makes a place for everyone. On a spiritual plane, it describes what God defines as kind, and kindness on a spiritual plane is eternally useful. 
Here's the reality, my friends. We have no adjective in the English language to even try to convey what the God kind of kindness is, except to say, oh, when I experienced the kindness and mercy of God, I couldn't keep it to myself. Kindness is sharing the gospel with people. Kindness is getting over your fears and recognizing somebody needs to hear the gospel, and if not through you, then who are they going to hear it from? Kindness is telling the truth even when it hurts. Kindness is loving people and caring for people. So beyond these things, greater still is our need to define what it means to be the God kind of people, not by bloggers or Pinterest, but by the scriptures. So in addition to that 1 Corinthians, I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I love this scripture. And it says, since God chose you, someone say, God chose me. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, someone say must, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, here's the word, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And here it is, above all, Clothe yourselves with love, the meta-narrative, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and to always be thankful. That's a biggie, isn't it? Here it's saying, as Paul is writing to Colossians, just as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he's saying, God chose you to be holy. And because he loves you, you've got to take off anything that is not like God, and you've got to suit up and armor up with tender mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But here's the thing. Paul never just leaves it at one thing, does he? He's like, oh, I got one more thing for you. After you get dressed... I want you to make allowance for each other's faults. What? I got to do, huh? Yes, absolutely. So when that person that you work with misses the deadline, your job isn't to leapfrog over them or tell them how ridiculous they are. Come alongside them and say, come on, hurry up. We've got the meeting in 10 minutes. Let's go. I'm here to help you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. But how many of you know that unforgiveness is a shackle? It doesn't mean that you have to feel it, but I'm telling you, when you forgive people, there's something that releases off of your spirit that allows you to go forward. Forgiveness is essentially saying, you don't have the right to hold a court in my soul any longer. You are evicted. You spend too much time in my heart and in my mind and in my soul, and God's going to have to deal with you because I can't. Amen? And then it says, and what does it say? Above all, clothe yourselves with love. This is the meta narrative. This is the big thing. Above all, above anything else you do, here's the big thing you need to hear. Put on love and let peace that comes from Christ. Here it is. Paul's making distinctions when you read the word. Let the peace that comes from Christ. Remember, he said, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I not give you peace like the world gives. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In other words, there is a kind of peace that comes from trust in God that has nothing to do with the world. Money may give you satisfaction, but it can't give you soul peace. 
A relationship is nice, but it sure can't give you soul peace. He said, when you put on love and then you walk in peace because you're called to and to be thankful, you will be able to walk things out. Three points that I have for you, and then you can all go to Culver's. Here we go. Three points. Y'all are laughing because you know it's true. Between Culver's and Cane's, you see, it's the church people. It's the church folk that make those lines 45 minutes long. All right, church people. Here we go. Three points. Number one, the ability to be kind and gracious is a result of our willingness to accept God's loving kindness toward us. Remember when I was talking to you about being nice versus being kind? I didn't know how to accept God's loving kindness toward me. I went to a church where I knew how to confess. I knew my sins. I knew my faults. I knew what I did wrong. And Jesus, he was always just past my fingertips. I was never good enough. I was never enough. And because I was never enough, I didn't know how to receive his love. I didn't know that I was actually worthy. I didn't know that he loved me. I knew what I ought to do. I knew that I was supposed to be dutiful. I knew that I was supposed to be holy. I knew that I was supposed to be righteous, but I didn't know that he actually came for me. And when that reality opened my eyes, that he actually called me daughter and called me friend, the niceness went away and there was a kindness, a genuineness that I could cultivate through discipleship. And I learned that the loving kindness that God gave me, I could then extend to other people. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, for everyone has sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe when they believed that Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood, that for me changed everything. It changed everything. When he wasn't past my fingertips, he was now in my heart. He was my friend. He transitioned everything. It didn't mean that those things that I had experienced at the hands of mean kids and things didn't hurt me, but I had a place to put my hurt. I could cast my cares upon him because he cared for me. I could learn to forgive and not to resent. And sometimes I had to grit my teeth and with tears running down my face, I had to continue over and over again to bring people to the cross who hurt me. But I had to realize that there's a difference, hear me, between what people do and who God is. Some people have walked away from Jesus. Some people in this room, some people watching because people have done things in the name of Jesus. But how many of you know Jesus is the friend that sticks closer than any brother? He will never treat you the way human beings do. There's a difference between what people do and who God is. I don't care what happens. You hold on to Jesus with everything you have because the great deceiver wants you to walk away. But don't ever walk away from him. The ability for you and I to truly emanate kindness comes from receiving kindness so that we can give it. Hear me when I say that you are enough. 
God loves you. God wants you. God wants to be close to you. God sees you. God is not crossing his arms like some celestial sky daddy wagging his finger at you. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. There's a great cloud of witnesses. He's given you the full armor of God. He's given you believers to stand around with. Stand up in who you are in Jesus, not in arrogance, but in joy and say, God, thank you for loving me. And out of that love, give it, please give it to the person on the side of the road, to the single mom, to the person that looks like they have it all together. Please give it. You don't know what's going on on the inside of somebody. Somebody can look really well together, put together, and five minutes later, they're gone. People are choosing death over the church. Because they don't see us in the streets. We can't live here in these walls. We've got to be in the street where the people are, where people are hurting. And we're not just called to people who look like us. We're called to the people that look like him. And last time I checked, everybody was made in his image and likeness. So guess what? You're called to the world. You're called to the nations. Not just your neighborhood. Not just the nice person, not just the person with the beautiful rose hedge. You're called to everybody and anybody who needs you. Number two, kindness is produced by the work of the Spirit. What does it say in Galatians? But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? Goodness, faithfulness, temperance, and self-control. In other words, you can't truly be kind unless the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you, unless you let him do what he needs to do. It was only because the Holy Spirit did something in me that I could even be kind. And I got to confess to you that there were times that I didn't want to be kind. When I first gave my life to Christ and became a pastor, I remember feeling like, huh, can't wait till those bullies who hurt me see what I get to do now. And God's like, uh, no, my love. I was like, well, what do you mean? Don't you remember what they did to me? He's like, yep. And don't you remember what they did to me? You cannot hate people and be a servant of God at the same time. You cannot harbor hatred and call it justice and holiness. You cannot operate in evil spirited and mean spiritedness and say it is of God. It is not. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 clearly tells us that. Kindness is produced by the work of the Spirit. Someone say, Holy Spirit, work in me. Come on, say it. Holy Spirit, work in me. Do in me what only you can do. And finally, kindness is a standard set by the Lord. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a maybe. Zechariah chapter 7, verse 8 through 10 said, Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. It's God's standard. So hear me, beloved. May the love of God and the kindness of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit be shed abroad in your hearts also. And may God transform and change us to be the kind of people that can transform the Lord, for the Lord, the world that we are in. It's in you, it's in us, so let's do this together. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. To God be the glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.